from the egg that gave birth to Howard the Duck, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two producers dedicated to produce the worst podcast in order to make millions, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Okay, so we got a lot of show. Uh, Corey, quickly, who gave us that reference, uh, please? That was brought to you by Kareem. Just put it on his bill. Yeah, there we go. Thank you, Kareem. And that, of course, is very apropos because uh, Howard the Duck, of course, was a George Lucas-produced film, which now belongs to Disney, which means that we can likely probably see um, Howard the Duck added to the DuckTales crew. And it'll you know, he'll be like Howard the Duck and uh, teaming up with... Um, you know, Donald Duck and stuff. Because Howard the Duck is also Marvel. So Marvel and Lucasfilm, the people who are responsible for Howard the Duck, all part of Disney now. Isn't that nice? Do you think we will ever see a Disney film that we- doesn't involve any pre-sold character whatsoever? Never again. Will there ever be a movie no. where, like, you know, uh, some decent actor plays a character that cannot be monetized from a vertically corporate standpoint? No. No, I think it's, it's over. over. I think it's over. Uh, and I think it's the end of the Disney brand, frankly. I think they're devaluing their own brand. I think it's kind of over. But anyway, uh, what'd you bake for me this week? What am I eating? Uh, well, you're actually... You, we get this out of the way. Yeah, we got well, a big show. Well, I wasn't going to say anything, but uh, you brought it up. That's yep. a, You need to get in touch with the Jewish heritage. Okay. Uh, you're not Jewish. A little and bit. A little bit. If you go back far enough. That is a black and white cookie. Okay. It's black so, and white all right. Cookie. So here's what we have today. We have... Right. Um, I'm going to eat. I'm going to take a bite. That's fine. All right. It's, it's a black and white cookie. Um, if you don't like that, you don't like black and white cookies. So maybe oh, you just don't nice. like it. It's like cake with frosting. Yes. Oh, very nice. Yes, thank you. That is a classic black and white cookie. Okay. So we have, uh, what are you doing today? We got Spider-Man today. Oh, my gosh. We got all kinds of stuff. We got spider We got some listener mail today. We got some listener mail. We got, we got Spider-Man. We got uh, an Akira Kurosawa film. We've got uh, a lot of classics. We got an old John Carpenter film. Actually, a couple of John Carpenter films, actually. Um, yeah, it's great. So what, let's dive right into it, Wade. Let's dive right into it. And then in the second half of the show, to annoy people even more, you'll get the second piece of baked good that I baked That's pretty weekend. great. That's pretty great. What are we doing first? You know, I'm gonna, first, I'm going to talk about some classic TV. Because wow. we've got some amazing classic TV. Mark, I am so excited. Grew up with this show. You did too. Come yeah. on. Give it up. Give it up for Shazam. Uh, ISIS, of course, has already been out. So the Shazam ISIS hour... Is now completely out, separate sets. If you want to create the hour yourself, you'll have to be swapping DVDs in and out. But this is all 28 episodes, and I was like, 28? There were only 28 episodes uh, of Shazam? That was plenty, believe me. Really? Um, But yeah, all 28 episodes of Shazam. And uh, the thing that was always amusing was they they had two different actors play Captain Marvel at various points. So, uh, and they're all here. I don't know why they had to swap that out. There's, There's no commentary or anything that says... The first guy that played Captain Marvel was an idiot, so we fired him and hired a guy that looked like Gil Gerard or something. But you know what I always enjoyed about this show? I always enjoyed the, um, the, the, the moments when, uh, when, he, when he's talking to all of the cartoon versions of the Greek gods. <laughs> that stuff was awesome. This show, it ran from 70... Well, it ran from 70... It ran in the mid-70s. Yeah. It's on CBS. And then, uh, and then, then after that was the Shazam ISIS Pretty hour. Pretty great. Yes, exactly. Uh, anyway, pretty great. And, you know, th- one of these days I have a feeling that we'll get a, a, a Shazam Captain Marvel feature film out of, uh, out of DC and Warner Brothers. At some point they're going to have to try and exploit, the, exploit that. I don't know what they'll do to it, but they, they just have to. It's a, D, it's a major DC character. I don't know how major he really is. Is he really major? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, when I was growing up, he was. Captain Marvel, you bet. Shazam! Boom. Yeah, and the question always was, who's stronger? Who could win in a fight? Superman or Captain Marvel? Who's stronger? You and, know there was, what? and they even had a comic book to that effect, I think, where they had to fight or something. You know who won? Who? The, the comic reader. Because he got to read about an epic battle between the forces of good and also good. Yep. I, you know what? I still have my uh, Superman versus Spider-Man comic, the DC Marvel crossover. Which I never understood. Because, look, I mean, he's super effing man. I mean, Spider-Man's great and all, but yeah, come on. But, but they, they were going up against a combination of Lex Luthor and Dr. Octopus. And Luther and Doc Ock together, you got to have two. I mean, Superman can't take on Doc Ock. Are you He's kidding? Let Spider Man handle. Superman Doc Ock. can fly around the world in one second. Literally mm-hmm. in one second, Superman can fly around the entire planet. Fine. Do you really think he's going to care about some guy with some plastic arms? So that's part of the uh, Warner Archive collection, and uh, another one from the Warner Archive collection, Chips ninety nine, Mark. Come on, yeah, you know what? Well, what happened was that Eric Estrada <laughs> and Larry Wilcox had done nothing with their career to such an extent that they were both miraculously available when the call came to do Chips true. 99. That's very true. That's very funny. Yeah, they tried re- resurrecting Chips ever so briefly in uh, 1999, and, uh, you know, they look pretty good. Eric Estrada looks, uh, looks not bad, a little silver-haired, but uh, a little, you know. They call him a silver fox. A little more paunch on the paunch, okay. but uh, sure you get it. Of course you get it. That was a joke. And they produced this thing as well, it's worth pointing out. So they were, uh, you know, getting involved in uh, trying to resurrect their own careers with the old... Well, it's like a Star Trek thing, you know, a reunion special deal. So, no, uh, no, Chip's the next generation. That would have been a Star Trek Yeah, deal. there you go. Well, actually, funny you mention that, because who is it that plays Captain Kirk now in the Star Trek films? Uh, the, 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 Chris well, Pine. Yes. Who's Chris Pine's dad? Um, Larry Pine from Chips. Thank you very much. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Thank you. We make a connection. It's a love connection. Um, and then uh, quickly moving on with a few more little TV deals. Uh, we got a Sesame Street thing here. This is uh, old school Sesame Street, uh, 1979 to 1984, volume three. And the most interesting thing about this is that you actually do realize that they have stitched and restitched and remanufactured a lot of these puppets over and over and friggin' over. If you look at the actual like Kermit and Bert and Ernie and, and Big Bird and all. It, does it, it looks kind of like you go, wow, that looks really sort of moth-eaten. Uh, just different fabric, different manufacturing strategies back in the 70s or something. Or maybe it's the video. I don't know. But anyway, uh, kids probably won't much care for this uh, because you'll ha- you know, you've got all kinds of references to you know, Vietnam and Nixon. And uh, are you even paying attention? Not really. Okay, never I never mind. pay attention when you talk. I thought you were going <laughs> to... Have we started the show yet? Yes, we have. Okay. I, I thought that'd be kind of funny, but no. No, of course, no Nixon references. But uh, it's interesting looking at uh, how the show's changed over the years. You know, they're definitely... It's still the same show, but it really is uh, very interesting. And a lot of great behind-the-scenes stuff here. If you grew up with the show at the time, it's really cool to revisit it. Uh, especially a special on-screen storybook of Oscar's How to Be a Grouch. Uh, very, very cool. Audio commentary on one episode by Sonia Manzano. And uh, it's good. Gotta love the uh, old school classic Sesame Street. Wade, uh, I, I have to say that uh, we're, we're about to talk about a show from uh, the mid '70s that was totally, completely forgotten. But there's one aspect of this show that we all need to pay attention to because it is current. Yes, you wonder what I'm talking about. I have no idea. There's a show from the mid '70s called uh, Big John, Little John. And um, the uh, good folks at VCI have come out with this thing, the complete series, on DVD. Now, Big John, Little John was a sitcom 
about a middle-aged uh, uh, high school teacher played by, uh, what's his name, Herb Edelman, character actor from the time. He, uh, he's in Florida. He winds up drinking from the Fountain of Youth. But he doesn't drink a full glass, Wade. He only drinks a, a, a little sip of it. So he turns into a little boy, but only sometimes because he didn't drink the full glass. He just had a sip of the water. From the Fountain of Youth. This sounds like the stupidest show I've ever heard of. Now, this was on TV. Do you, you not remember the show? No. I mean, I was like, I was, I was like one or something, but I, I remember the show. No, I've never heard of it. Here is the weird. This show is terrible. But here is the weird part about this show. The, uh, as I remember it, the only people who knew that this high school teacher had drank from the Fountain of Youth and he goes, he becomes a kid every once in a while, is his wife and his son. Right. The wife was played by Joyce Boulafont who was a sitcom actress of moderate note at the time. Okay. And his son, right, Wade? The son was played by Mike Darnell. Now, Mike Darnell is now the president of Alternative Entertainment for Fox. Oh, and no kidding. That, he is the Mike Darnell. That is oh that gosh. Mike Darnell. Mike Darnell has been with Fox for like 15 years. That's interesting. And he's greenlit pretty much every Fox reality show that you love, American Idol, all of them. <laughs> and Mike Darnell in the mid seventies yeah. played Herb Edelman's son in Big John Little John. Wow. Which is totally bizarre. Wow. But uh anyway, the series Big John Little John, I, I guarantee if your parents if you want to give your parents a laugh, just don't buy the sh- don't buy the DVD because the show's right. terrible. But the next time you're on Amazon, maybe you're in Best Buy, take him by the hand, say, Hey Ma, hey Dad. Sweet. Remember this show? They'll laugh. Nice. Still get a good chuckle out of it. Good deal. And then we also have, uh, for combat fans, and you know you can get the full series of combat out there, but uh, they do have a 50th anniversary edition of fan favorites of the show Combat, 20 classic episodes, in a uh, five-disc collection. And uh, you you know what? This show really, the the great thing about Combat is kind of the same great thing about a lot of shows from this period, which is that you have all of these unbelievably cool cameos. And, uh, you know, like Robert Duvall showed up on all these shows at some point. Lee Marvin shows up here. And uh, even John Cassavetes, believe it or not. Isn't that amazing? Cassavetes was on combat. Isn't awesome. that weird? We just talked about him last week or, or week before with Rosemary's Baby. And uh, so anyway, uh, Rick Jason, another one of my favorite actors, was on this uh, show as well. Rick Jason is just a, a terrific forgotten actor along with Vic Morrow. And, uh, you know, it, Rick Jason is worth rediscovering, i got to tell you. Really worth rediscovering. So, um, that's Combat, 20 classic episodes, fan favorites, definitely go out. That's uh, not a bad one to maybe possibly resurrect when we do our holiday gift guide show. And I uh, do want to do kind of tease that. Uh, we don't have a fixed date for it yet. It depends on when uh, certain stuff shows up. But it will be after Thanksgiving, probably two weeks after Thanksgiving. And we're going to uh, give you the usual annual roundup of all the great holiday-titled and holiday-themed stuff. Um, and uh, boxed sets and all the you know all the really big stuff that's being targeted out there. So we got some really great surprises and some really get, great treats for you then, and uh, maybe some giveaways. Might even have some giveaways. Working really? on those. I'm working on the giveaways. Really? Yep, sure am. You never give me anything. Anyway, I give, uh, I give you love. Oh, yes. and I give you food. All right, the big uh, music uh, Blu-ray of the week is this uh, amazing Blu-ray called Hungarian Rhapsody Queen Live in Budapest. Now. This was uh, Queen in 1986. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking 1986. Uh, Cold War. Cold War, but you're also thinking, you know, whatever, 25 years ago, whatever yeah. it is. And uh, it's in Budapest, some horrible poverty-ridden country. Well, I'll tell you, 
when Queen played this concert in Budapest, this is right after Live Aid, and for whatever reason, the Budapest government, which helped bankroll this concert, it was like a huge stadium concert, the Budapest government for 1986, they shot this thing with dozens of cameras. These guys were not kidding. So this is not some like lo-fi, lame little concert film from 25 years ago. This is really, really good stuff. Um, it has pretty much every Queen song you could ever want. There's two CDs and there's the Blu-ray. The CDs, of course, pop it in your uh, iPod. The Blu-ray is the concert, obviously. I mean, come on. Uh, Under Pressure and and uh, God Save the Queen, We Are the Champions, We Will Rock You, Radio Gaga, which, uh, you know what, I, I, I don't know if this is true or not. I, supposedly Lady Gaga got her name from the Queen song Radio Gaga. Yes, she did. Which she is one of their lamer. She, she's which totally one, said that. It's, it's one of their lamer singles, actually. Uh, Radio Gaga, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, of course. And so it's a great concert, shot really well by the Hungarian government, for whatever reason. And it also includes uh, two CDs, all remastered, great stuff, Hungarian Rhapsody, Queen Life in Budapest. Looks almost modern. It looks that good. This could have been shot last week. So good stuff if you're a Queen fan. Super cool. If you're not, what's wrong with you? And speaking of recording artists, uh, there's a guy named Ben Lee that I had never heard of. And I'm like, Ben Lee? Who the hell is Ben Lee? And why are so many famous people actually like friends with him or used to be friends with him? And now I know. Uh, ben Lee's an Australian singer who he's been a star for like ever since he was a, a teenager, kind of like a you know Justin Bieber originally. David and, Cassidy? Yeah, totally one of those. Uh, he's Australian, and they made a documentary about him, uh, Ben Lee Catch My Disease, which he's really, it's amazing. The guy's a really tremendous talent, fascinating figure. He's even starred in a movie, believe it or not. And uh, he's still around, uh, just wasn't on my radar. But this is, a, this is a great look at him and his career and all of his famous friends. He, he used to date Claire Danes, apparently. Uh, he's good friends with, like, Jason Schwartzman and Zoe Deschanel and Winona Ryder. And they all show up here. And uh, you get uh, a commentary by the, uh, the director and uh, some old uh, Super 8 fitted, like, footage of, uh, of his, uh, you know, wedding in, uh, in India. And, uh, you know, that's, if you know who he is or if you want to know who he is, it's, it's actually really worth checking out. And it comes in eco-packaging and an eco kind of uh, digipack deal from uh, Strand. So good for them. And then our lone foreign language title this week uh, really is a big deal. It's a huge deal. This is the Criterion release of Rashomon, which, of course, has been on, uh, on DVD previously. But the Blu-ray of Rashomon is, as I cannot emphasize strongly enough a miracle. Uh, Criterion does black and white better than anybody else, and they certainly do Japanese black and white better than anybody else. Um, there's a quality to Japanese black and white films from the basically this uh, Kurosawa period and the early part of the Japanese New Wave that's different. I don't know anything about the film stocks used. I've never done any research into that, but it's different. It's different from, you know, the uh, neorealist films from Italy and from the New Wave stuff in, in France, from 400 Blows and Bicycle Thieves, and certainly different from what was being uh, done in Hollywood. Uh, how, maybe it's how they shot it, whatever it is, but there's this really stark, very kind of delicate scent, texture to the way that these films are shot. And uh, Rashomon it just demands it. The faces in this movie are, it's all about the faces. You know, it's all about who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth, uh, what impact did this person have, what are they feeling. You're, you're, you're trying to get inside people's heads. And well, so this, this movie has been crucial. remade, if not in name, but in spirit. 
well, 50 times. You know, I, I'm going to tell a quick story. First of all, I, it's just great. Absolutely great. you got to get it. A uh, new digital restoration that is just completely pristine. Uh, great commentary from Donald Ritchie, who is a uh, scholar of Japanese films. And uh, even an interview with Robert Altman, who talks about it. Robert Altman has a uh, – it's funny. If you think about it, Rashman is kind of an Altman film. And uh, so his, his comments are really fascinating. I never thought about that. And then there's a documentary on the cinematographer, a uh, documentary uh, on basically the whole, you know, the, the, whole, the whole concept, and uh, archival interview with one of the actors, and uh, a lot of great stuff. Um, here's, my, here's my story about Rashomon. The most interesting thing. No, seriously. Fall asleep now. The, uh, the most interesting thing about Rashomon is, is when you do look at all of the things that it's inspired, all the things that have been remade based on it. The most interesting one for me is a first season episode of All in the Family. And when I taught film history, I actually showed that episode of All in the Family in the class. I had them watch Rashomon, and then I showed the episode. It's the refrigerator episode. You've seen that, right? How did you even get that episode to show them? Oh, I have it on DVD. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to say, and, of course, Ron Glass is amazing. Remember, it's all about, you know, yes. the, who, who repaired the refrigerator. Well, he, he was a Black Panther. He had an afro, and he had a switchblade. No. He was a really nice guy, and he was wearing overalls. Well, he had a little he, little tiny pen knife, and nobody could. Each, each, little, each, each new iteration of the story yeah. was more outsized than the last. Huge Absolutely. afro, or, yeah. you know, or he's just great. a nice guy. And Ron Glass just kills it in that episode. Yep. He's great. So, uh, anyway, uh, Rashomon, one of the most influential films of all time. A tremendous new Blu-ray. Uh, Bravo Criterion Way to go Yeah you know what the Ghost Dog That was based on Rashomon I mean there's so much Vantage Point Which is kind of a lame movie But anyway Hoodwinked Which is a little more uh, More recent Based on Rashomon yep. I mean there's so much The Hero Based on Rashomon um, Tucker and Dale Versus Evil Kind of Rashomon-ish Yep And uh, actually Once in a while My weeks are actually Kind of based on Rashomon um, we've got a Kino Classic Special Edition Blu-ray as well, which is pretty great. Lon Chaney in The Penalty, a uh, classic of the silent era. This has been released before. And, um, you know, not, uh, not in any really great transfers, I have to say, but the, um, this is really nice. It's very, very nice. Kino has done a great job with their ongoing Blu-ray releases of silent films, especially all of the Keaton stuff. And uh, this is no less. Um, not one of the great Lon Chaney performances, but it, the film itself is very, very significant. Made in 1920. Color tinted, I should point out. Very nicely done. And uh, this is a George Eastman House uh, restoration. Perfectly, uh, perfectly and pristinely restored from the original uh, materials. I don't know if the tinting was done digitally or not, but it certainly looks like it's uh, from the original source material. And a brand new score from the Mont Alto uh, Orchestra, who does tons of these silent film uh, scores, and a lot of them for Kino as well. And they do a wonderful job. Really wonderful job. A lot of good, good little extras. Uh, you know, a little bit on Cheney's makeup and uh, some footage from uh, one of his other movies and, uh, and trailers. As well as a uh, 1914 one reel western. So go and check out The Penalty. It's, uh, you know, for silent film buffs, this is a big deal. It's a big deal, Wade. You know what else is a big deal? The other Criterion release we have this week. This is uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday from uh, the sort of uh, unfairly forgotten and even underappreciated in his time, John Schlesinger. And uh, Schlesinger was a uh, he was director coming out of the uh, 60s, started his career in the early 60s. He was a British director. He was uh, quite gay. And um, that was a big deal at the time. So when he had made Sunday Bloody Sunday, what was controversial about it, there are many things, but what was controversial about it is that you had a story of a... Uh, of a bisexual guy who has a relationship with a, with a man and a woman at the same time. And his previous film, Midnight Cowboy, which won Best Picture, the Oscar for Best Picture, that one 
was a little more uh, uh, in line with the times where the 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 gay characters were a little bit um, kind of they're like alienated and uh, they were kind of outcasts. But here you've got a you know moderately successful and moderately well adjusted uh, character who happens to be bisexual. And for 1960 or what is this 1971 something like that for 1971 that was a big deal. And uh, it's a great film. I like it a lot. It's I a do. terrific film. It's uh, you know I think Schlesinger is great. Schlesinger if you know Billy Liar is one of my favorite films of that time. Love Billy Liar. Midnight Cowboy, obviously, best picture. Marathon Man was with Dustin Hoffman is also great. Yeah. Even some some of his later stuff isn't so bad. The Falcon and the Snowman from 85 is pretty good, too. But anyway, so uh, Schlesinger, uh, this is uh, Sunny Bloody Sunday. Really good stuff. Looks great. Uh, Schlesinger passed away a few years ago. Uh, there's an audio interview with him from 1975. This is a guy who was really pushing boundaries for the time. So if you want to see a guy who was, like, totally transgressive, telling stories in a way that, you know, I mean, this is 1962. I mean, this is 1971. So this is right after the, you know, studio era was gone, after the production, after the new rating system was installed. It was kind of a new era in Hollywood. So these sorts of films were more accepted, uh, at least here in the States. So Sunday Bloody Sunday is a terrific film and is very highly recommended, and uh, you must go rent it. You don't have to buy it because I know Criterions are expensive, but um, you really should rent it. Awesome. Peter Love Finch. It. Peter Finch. It's the best. Peter Finch is the man. I got a uh, quick little quartet of, uh, of oldies but goodies here. Now, um, actually, I talked about Rashomon, our lone si- uh, foreign language film of the week. I'm wrong. I shouldn't have said that. But I, I, co- I uh, coalesced this other one into uh, this little batch because it came from Olive. But this is actually a foreign language film. This is a French language film called Taxi for Tobruk. And uh, Taxi for Tobruk is, a, is an interesting little kind of lost uh, member of that sub-genre of war films that are all about the futility of war, where you kind of create a microcosm, a social microcosm, by extracting a particular situation. A more recent example would be um, like uh, the... the, Star Wars? No, the De Palma film with uh, Michael J. Fox. uh, Oh, uh, Redacted? No, 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 no. Michael J. Fox, Chris Penn... Oh, uh, Casualties of War. Casualties of War, thank you. Uh, Casualties of War, sort of. let's, Let's just, you know, try to talk about all the issues of the war based on this one little isolated horrible situation involving a rape and a kidnapping, good soldier, bad soldier, etc. Taxi for Tobruk is a little bit like that. This was d- directed by uh, Denis de la Patelière, a French director who really doesn't have any other great giant significance uh, historically. And uh, it was in 1960, and it's basically about a, a commando unit uh, during World War II in 1942 who um, they wind up sort of on a desert trek with a German prisoner. And it's a really interesting character study, very nicely photographed, uh, that really probably should have... It's in, it's kind of Rashomon-like in the sense that the way that it looks at human nature, it certainly could be used to inspire a lot of other movies, and I'm surprised why it doesn't. But very, very nicely done, uh, and some very, very uh, recognizable actors here, including Charles Aznavour, uh, Lino Ventura, Hardy Krueger... Uh, you know, Hardy Tr- Kruger for crying out loud. Hardy Kruger for we crying love, out loud. We love Hardy Kruger. Whatever. And then we also have uh, the original Gone in 60 Seconds, Car Crash King Edition. If you have not heard of this film, this is from H.B. Uh, Halicki. And H.B. Uh, Halicki is really uh, kind of a hack who is known only for just destroying cars in movies. That's pretty much it. Gone in 60 Seconds is, is noteworthy for no reason other than the fact that you have about 500 cars destroyed in one movie. That was his goal. Uh, and it was all done in the context of a car thief 
who, um, you know, just is kind of given this challenge and, uh, you know, you have to steal all these cars and not get caught. Really, it's not really a plot. It's just let's dist- let's crash a lot of cars and we'll get we're, we're bound to get a certain number of people in the audience to uh, rally around us and say we love movies with car crashes. Kind of like, uh, you know, the car crashes you used to watch on chips extended to an entire feature length. Um, anyway, Gone in 60 Seconds, not really a big deal anymore because it's all done by CGI now and it doesn't really shock people anymore. But at the time, it was like, wow, you're wrecking a lot of cars. Um, so that's, anyway, that's on Blu-ray. You can, you can get that if you just want to see uh, high-definition car crashes. Uh, Blu-ray and DVD combo pack of uh, Suddenly, starring Frank Sinatra and Sterling Hayden. Yay, Suddenly! What? It was directed by my step-grandfather. I know. I was going to let you talk about that. I'm not going to talk about it. I've already talked about it. Because it's already been out on, on DVD. It has been, but in crappy DVD collect- uh, editions. That not, is true. Not, not really good editions. This is a, uh, a wonderful, wonderful Blu-ray. And it, uh, you know, it has a DVD on it if you have to have it. But I would say uh, you're, you're not buying this for the DVD. You're buying it for the Blu-ray. And you're it, buying it for my step-grandfather. That's what you are. Um, so anyway, this is, it's really sharp. One of uh, Sinatra's more memorable performances. And it's, uh, it's got a, you know, it's a, it's, I wouldn't call it a noir, but it's kind of like a quasi-noir, wouldn't you say? Oh, totally. Yeah, it's a quasi-noir. Anyway, Sterling Hayden uh, at his weirdest best. He just that's a that's a freaky. Is Sterling Hayden ever anything but weird? Anyway, this is courtesy of HD Cinema Classics. You can learn more about them at hdcinemaclassics.com. It's a it's a great transfer, really nicely done. And then last but certainly not least of these uh, l- this little classic blitz that I'm talking about here, this is also from Olive, and it is from the usual Paramount library that Olive exploits. Uh, the transfer, you know, I, I I just don't think the film may have been that well shot originally. It's certainly one of the kind of less dazzling Blu-ray transfers we've gotten from the Olive Paramount collaboration. Um, but nonetheless, still a great film. Certainly worth getting on Blu-ray versus DVD. And we're talking, of course, about the Sidney Lumet-directed adaptation of Eugene O'Neill's Long Day's Journey into Night with uh, Catherine Hepburn and Ralph Richardson and Jason Robards and a shockingly young Dean Stockwell. And, by the way, music by uh, Andre Previn. Yes. You know, this, this was... Uh, this movie's three hours long, I should point uh, yes. out. This is, this is the unexpurgated Eugene O'Neill's Long Day's Journey in a Night. If you've never seen Long Day's Journey in a Night performed on stage, it is a long journey. And if, you'll, if you watch this film, yeah. l- you, you're seeing the play. You're seeing the I whole mean, thing. I mean, Lumet, there was very little Nothing, affectation no. to it, didn't really cut anything. That's it. He was, he was into it. Yep. And it is beautifully, beautifully uh, executed, beautifully acted. I, I do wish the transfer were a little bit better, um, but it, again, it's better than it is on DVD, and uh, it's, it's really good. It's really good. So you, uh, you don't miss much. So I would say own this one because it's a great work of American stage directed with an unbelievable cast by one of the great directors of the cinema. Sydney, one of my not, favorites. How do you not do that? Love Sydney. I don't, I don't understand. He's awesome. All, all I know is that two of my favorite directors, one is named Sydney, one is named Stanley. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, Wade, it's kind of a big deal Blu-ray this week. Uh, Guys and Dolls from Ooh, more Sinatra. More Sinatra. Now, I don't like this movie. Uh, you know what? The, I, 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 look, it was controversial at the time, and I, I, I still can't quite get over the sight of Marlon Brando just hoofing it up big time in like this, you know, this you know Manhattan zoot suit looking thing. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I just, I just, it's just weird to me. And I don't really like any of the songs. I mean, they're fine, but to me, there was no, you know, super song that I just absolutely hum all the time. Not like, you know, uh, Singing in the Rain or 
American in Paris or whatever. So I just I just don't get it. But um, I like it. I really? like it a lot. I love really? this movie. Yeah, well, I do. You, you love all that stuff. I do. Uh, there's a, there's uh, two Guys and Dolls documentaries on the film, uh, which is also included in the Blu-ray, which are terrific. And um, that's pretty much the main uh, the main special features on this thing. It looks really good. I will say that. It's also a good-looking little uh, digipack book thing that uh, that sometimes you see with uh, Samuel Goldwyn. Um, this also stars Frank Sinatra, as Wade says. You know, Frank Sinatra, not... Um, not the original uh, choice no, for no, he Sky wasn't. Masterson. Um, but you know what? He's Frank Sinatra. You can't go wrong with him. So it's really Sinatra's show as well as the just odd, odd casting of Marlon Brando. Uh, people love it. I'm not that into it. But, um, you know, it looks good. Give you that much. And uh, there you go. Guys and dolls. Pretty cool. Um, Mark, we have a couple of um, John Carpenter films here. And if you're a fan of John Carpenter, this kind of represents, I guess you could bookend his career, everything that you love and everything that you hate about him, maybe in these two films. Uh, the first is Dark Star, and the other is They Live. Now, John Carpenter's career is just non-existent right now, and, and I think that's sad, because I grew up with John Carpenter films. We always looked forward to the next John Carpenter film. But those, those guys have all been replaced by, you know, whatever torture porn I crap. Know. But by the way, speaking of John Carpenter, well, oh, the "Luck Be a Lady Tonight" is a good song. Okay, okay, let me let me backtrack with Guys and Dolls. Okay, okay, I do like "Luck Be a Lady Tonight." That's cool. I'll give you that. Okay, fine. I think that's really it. Actually, I think yeah. "Luck Be a Lady Tonight" is the there only song I like from that from that that movie and that play. So let me just say, first of all, before I get into John Carpenter for a second, uh, I, I a friend of mine turned me on to this fantastic YouTube. A friend, video. you turned you on? You did what? to a great, to a great, very professionally done video. Uh, with, uh, with with James Hong, by the way, doing a cameo in it of Lopan style, which is a Gangnam style parody done with all the whole characterization and milieu and, and concept of uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Awesome. It is wickedly cool and awesome. hysterical. It's really good. Lopan style. Go look it up on uh, YouTube. Uh, anyway, the uh, John Carpenter made Dark Star. Uh, back in 1974, and Dark Star is just a cheesy, low-budget, you know, almost student filmish thing that that he threw together, kind of freshly out of uh, USC. But it's people love it, and it's funny, and it's amazing the production value that they got out of uh, very little money at that time. I mean, you know, it's it's a science fiction movie with like a spaceship and in star fields and all this stuff. And you think to yourself, wow, that is really incredibly inventive. Because today, somebody just, you know, you'd have a 14-year-old sit down on his computer and CGI the whole thing. They didn't have that back then. Uh, so you've got to watch this movie. It is just absolutely great. It is a, it is a wonderful revisitation of uh, a, a science fiction indie-produced classic uh, that also, by the way, you know, it, it, he was, Carpenter was not the only major science fiction figure involved in this. You realize that? Oh, it was, yeah, there was... Uh, uh, Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon for Dan the o Alien series. That's right. Dan O'Bannon did all kinds of stuff in here. He worked on the uh, he did the production design. He uh, was the editor of the film. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, really, it's pretty great. So he co-wrote the film and then did all of the other this other technical stuff at the same time. So it really is almost just two guys sitting down and just willing this film into existence. So obviously the film doesn't look like a, a million bucks, but uh, it was made for about a half a million bucks. And the Blu-ray really does preserve the the grit of it, but it's you know there's a restoration kind of sort of going on digitally, so they make it look better. 
because it's it's done nicely from the original elements, but it's not it doesn't look too pretty. So you can you still sort of appreciate the uh, the grit that went into it. Uh, a lot of great a uh, lot of great extras here. The there's an interview with uh, Alan Dean Foster, Alan Dean Foster, the science fiction author. Remember Alan Dean Foster? Alan Dean Foster used to do all, all the, the big novelizations. Uh, novelizations. Yep, all the novelizations. Uh, so Alan Dean Foster, there's a, an interview with him here. There's an interview with Brian Norell. There's a, a 3D guide to the actual ship, and a full-length commentary by a super fan named Andrew Gilchrist, which you know, I guess is given the film is given its um, pedigree as a real fan movie. I guess it's acceptable. I would have preferred something from uh, Carpenter, but that's okay. So anyway, that's uh, that is out there from VCI. Thank you, VCI. And then the other John Carpenter film, They Live. Which uh, is is supposed to be remade or quasi remade by Matt Reeves uh, within the next uh, few years. I I have very mixed feelings about They Live. Um, this is of course you know Rowdy Rowdy Roddy Piper, the uh, wrestling guy uh, in a story about people who can you know they put their glasses on and they can see the aliens who are invading and. I don't know. It felt like a concept that would have been a good John Carpenter movie maybe at one point, but for some reason it just, I don't know, it, it just doesn't work for me, dude. Well, at the time it was considered a, uh, a bit of an allegory for yeah. you know, Reagan-era politics and whatnot. But maybe, and maybe that's the problem. They're, just, they're trying too hard because now it, it's, it just feels like a, it just feels like one more twist on an alien invasion concept at a time when you've already had you know, like umpteen remakes of Invasion of the Body Snatchers and all these other, it's just it doesn't really add anything. It's just it's just got well, a, but it's at, just got a wrestling guy in it. Well, but at, at the time it was considered a little, you know, can I say ballsy on the yeah? Internet? Go ahead, sure. It was considered kind of ballsy that they would use kind of this like John Carpenter low budget film to make an allegory about the Reagan administration. I guess, and um, so that kind of gave it some juice, but ultimately it's not a great film. Um, but what is a great film, hmm. and I'm going to talk about this film while you eat the oh, second no. thing I have for you. Oh, jeez. I'm just going to fatten you up. Okay. Now, the, uh, I, the, I made these this morning, and now they're all, like, yeah. probably cold. I, I, I understand. I'm, I'm sort of – you, you, you use me so that you don't have to throw it out. Uh, no. Uh, well, yes, but no. No, I could freeze this, mm-hmm. and I'm only giving you a piece of it. I made from scratch this morning yes. cinnamon rolls, like from scratch, like okay. scratch, scratch. Not like, oh, I went to the Get store me. and bought something. All right. Now, while you uh, hopefully don't choke on that, uh, I will talk about a great comedy from 1987 called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, I love this. <laughs> the best Thanksgiving movie ever. It really is. Yeah. You know, at the time, this was John Hughes during his, uh, his, you know, his, salad, his salad decade of the 80s, and the movie was a bit of a departure for him because there's no, like, you know, teen angst in it, you know, and there's none of that stuff. It was very good. Thank you very much. Very nice. Um, no teen angst. It uh, it stars uh, John Candy plays this uh, very effusive shower just, curtain ring salesman. He's a shower curtain ring salesman. He's so positive and loves to talk, and it's just like, just he's so well meaning. And he winds up uh, he winds up trying to get home for Thanksgiving uh, with Steve Martin, who plays like this uptight ad exec. And so the two of them are forced to live together. The high strung guy and the well meaning effusive big lug kind of a guy. And I have to tell you, you know, you have like 100 minutes or whatever, 90 minutes of laughs. And then in the last two minutes, you know, it's so heartfelt. Tears your heart out. Tears your heart it really out. It's does. wonderful. It's the best Thanksgiving movie ever. It's I, so good. Remember the scene? It's so funny. Like, this is the, the scene in the back of the pickup truck where it's like really cold and it's really falling apart for him. And mm-hmm. they're sitting in the back of the pickup truck freezing. And, and, and John Candy's like, so how cold do you think it is? And Steve Barton says, one 
is like one degree. How many degrees? How many degrees? Wait, wait, wait. It might have been how many degrees do you think it is? (laughs) And he says one. That's great. Oh, I blew that line. That's okay. It's, your fault, it's okay. All right, special yeah. features. Uh, there's a there's a a thing on um, John Hughes here. There's a do, uh, there's a, a, a sort of a mini doc thing on the story of the movie, and uh, there's also in HD another thing called the Legacy of John, uh, John Hughes, which is pretty good. There's a deleted scene. Um, it's great. It's great. And John Candy, who uh, died many years ago, he uh, he is still missed. And when you look at a film like this, he died in '94. You realize how great he was. He was in that – he wasn't like – he was a big guy, but he wasn't like that – he wasn't like a John Belushi edgy guy. That no. was not really his – No. That was not his thing. No. He was, he was an SCTV guy, and he was just a big, the, the, big – Look. He was a big talent. He was a big presence. He was very funny. Favorite line ever. Where's, where's your hand between two pillows? Those aren't pillows. Come on. Who doesn't know that moment? Yeah. That's great. Candy was, <laughs> Candy was in Splash and, and National Lampoon's Vacation, Stripes, yeah. Blues Brothers. He was great. in – He's great. Anyway, awesome uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. We also have a, uh, a couple of uh, Dark Shadows movies, not Ooh. the recent one. Uh, well, with Dark you know, they, now they have to get all this stuff out. And there actually were a couple of Dark Shadows movies that were uh, thrown together at, based on the success of the TV series, the original TV series. And the first one um, is actually pretty good, i got to be honest. Uh, Dan Curtis, who created the show, he, um, he produced and directed this. And it's House of Dark Shadows from 1970, um, which uh, it's nice to see what was basically a kind of a, you know, frankly, I mean, I love the TV show, but a low-budget black-and-white TV series turned into something a lot more substantial. And uh, I'm sorry that they weren't able to sort of do more of this, but starred Jonathan Frid and uh, Joan Bennett, and it, it really kind of plugs into the lore very nicely. So it's a... It's a good effort at doing that. A little less successful uh, is the um, Night of Dark Shadows, which was made the following year also by Dan Curtis and David Selby, also from the TV show, uh, along with the likes of uh, Kate Jackson and uh, you know a few other people who don't really belong in this, in this narrative. Uh, they want to in this thing as well. This is a little bit more of a stretch. Uh, it tries to be a little bit too ghoulish, a little bit too spooky and gothic. Um, again, it's a nice... It fills certainly a, a place in the uh, Dark Shadows compendium, the Dark Shadows lore. If you're a completist, you're going to want it. But the House of Dark Shadows made the, the year before much better than Night of Dark Shadows. Um, and then a really great title from the Warner Archive collection that was released some time ago, but I didn't want to let this slip because there are some very important things to say about this. Um, the last time I saw Paris, starring uh, Van Johnson and Elizabeth Taylor, uh, along with Walter Pigeon and Donna Reed, has been out uh, probably 170 times on DVD. And it looks like crap. Every single one of them is a public domain disaster. And uh, a lot of people have gotten some of the uh, higher-profile public domain releases, which come from decent elements, but they're all really substandard. And this is, a, this is not a great film, but it's a very good film and a really solid film from the uh, filmography of, uh, of uh, Richard Brooks, made in 1954. And it uh, is out finally from the Warner Archive Collection, who doesn't overly market a lot of their titles. And so a lot of you who may have this in a public domain edition might not know that this even exists. Uh, If you go to warnerarchive.com, you'll find it there. Yes, it's a DVD-R, but it is the definitive transfer of this film. It looks so much better than anything else out there. The colors are rich. 
there's detail, there's no edge enhancement, there's almost no digital noise. It really is the way, it's as close as you're going to be able to see this film unless somebody decides to release it on Blu-ray, which is unlikely. So this is about as close to definitive as you're likely to ever see this film. So I really, really do recommend this. It is, of course, a uh, manufacturer on demand title, for, uh, as they all are from WarnerArchive.com. So you will get a brand new pristine uh, DVD-R pressing. Make sure you take care of it because DVD-Rs are, not, are a, little more, uh, a little more fragile. But if you want to you know, kind of archive this in your collection, it's definitely worth having. So I highly recommend it. You want to highly recommend, Wade? Finally on Blu-ray, Sunset Boulevard. Oh, my gosh. Now, we were saying before... They should have uh, done just a, a... They should have blown this out. I don't know why. This looks very just sort of like... Phoned in. It looks like a real perfunctory release. Yeah. This is uh, from Paramount. This is yeah. like a major, major release. This is... I don't know what the, I don't know what the problem is. I, I, I almost feel like I would have preferred, and given the quality of the transfer, I think if they had let Olive handle this, Olive Films would have done a better job. Well, look, there is a bunch of special features on it. There's a couple of featurettes. They're fine. There's a deleted scene, which is pretty cool, which we've never seen before. You know, galleries and trailer, not as interesting, but the movie itself, uh, this is one of Billy Wilder's very best, written by Charles Brackett. The film is up for 11 Academy Awards. I think it won three. Um, and it's great. It's, 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 it is a, uh, how would you describe this thing? Like a, like a scathing, co- sort of comedic, sort of dramatic, sort of noirish. You know what? It is. It's everything. It's, a, it's, 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 it, it's like a, a, a Hollywood 19... It, well, made in 1950s, so it, it sort of represents the pivot point between the 40s and the 50s in Hollywood. But I would say it's it's not only about Hollywood, it's about the kinds of films Hollywood makes, about the personalities that it makes, about the attitudes that it fosters. It really is kind of this, this catch-all movie industry fever dream that uh, is unlike any other movie ever made. And it's just, it's extraordinary and rare and, and bizarre and unique. And it's, um, you know, I've seen it at least a dozen times, and it just never, it gets better every single time. I mean, Gloria Swanson old. was perfect casting. I, I, I know that they had gone through a bunch of people before well, deciding Gloria Swanson. Gloria Swanson and uh, Eric von Stroheim uh, effectively are sort of acting as, you know, fictitious versions of themselves. Because Gloria Swanson was a big, was a big silent star. She and, peaked in the 20s. And the footage in the movie of... Of her, you know uh, her of her character in older movies is footage of old Gloria Swanson movies, you know. So it, so there's all this really which were directed by Eric von Stroheim, you know. So there are all of these weird little kind of backstories, these real life backstories and trivia that's threaded into the movie. Uh, it's really it's really quite fascinating. By the way, the one thing I learned in watching this Blu-ray didn't know this. You learn things. Remember the shot in the movie, one of the opening shots where uh, it's from the bottom of the pool mm-hmm. and we're looking up. And yep. we see, uh, uh, what's his name, William Holden, yeah. and he's dead. And it's and the opening talking. shot of the movie, folks. Yeah, and so he's, and he's basically it. saying, yep, there I am, yes. I'm dead. So, Which is a great thing, that your dead guy's narrating the movie. Now, in 1950, how do you get that shot? They don't have underwater cameras or whatever. Mm. It's 1950. You know what they did? Mm. They put a, uh, a mirror on the bottom of the pool and then shot... And shot the mirror. That's pretty great. So the mirror was looking up at him. That's pretty great. That's how they make, that's how they got that shot. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty cool. And that's and that's a that is I, if you'll pardon the language that is a bitch to to focus. Oh yeah. I mean that shot that is an. I mean the water think, has oh. to be completely still. Oh no, you, completely it, clear. From a cinema from a cinematography standpoint, that shot is a nightmare. That's right. So, so that makes it. I got to go back and watch that now. Yes, you do. Rock on. Yeah. So Sunset Boulevard. Uh, a must rent, assuming you don't know what it is and never heard of it. You must at least rent it if you want to be a cinephile. You want to say you're a cinephile. It's not enough to say, hey, I just saw 
uh, Captain America. That just means you're a fanboy. Yes, it does. If you want to be a cinephile. Yes, it does. If you want to cultivate your love of movies, you got to see stuff like Sunset Boulevard as well as anything else by Billy Wilder, one of the great directors of all time. That's it. So before we get to uh, brand new movies, got some listener mail to read to you. Uh, this one actually came in just recently, but it's really important to talk about, especially going into the holidays, for a number of reasons that people will find out as we get closer to the holidays. Um, but this is from um, Paris Andreu, who writes and says, "Longtime listener here. I've emailed you a couple of times. Uh, in a recent podcast, you said that Dial M for Murder wasn't projected in 3D back in 1954 and wondered about how faithful to Hitchcock's vision as far as 3D is concerned, is the recent uh, Blu-ray Dial M actually, uh, is the recent Blu-ray. Dial M actually played briefly in 3D during its initial theatrical run, and the decision to stop 3D showings was made by the studio after requests from exhibitors. Now, uh, a quick interjection here. That's not the story that I've heard. Um, Now, I did a little bit of research, and it does seem that it was briefly exhibited in 3D, but that generally it was not. And my understanding was always that Hitchcock himself grew disenchanted with 3D and elected not to complete the 3D. So that was my understanding was that, uh, that Hitch- it was Hitchcock's choice. So um, i got to do a little bit more research in that. But if any of our listeners know more about this story, I would welcome it because um, I'd be really curious to find out what the, what the actual backstory is on that. So if there's more to it, this is worth exploring. Um, he said it was released in the late uh, 70s, early re-released in the late 70s, early 80s, and there have been other screenings over the years since. For more information, you can go to 3dfilmarchive.com. The um, yeah, there have been re-releases, but again, my understanding is uh, the film was never completed in 3D. Uh, Hitchcock did not complete it, so anything subsequent to that is an after the Hitchcock uh, modification that it does not reflect. And certainly, the new version, the new 3D release, does not completely in any way reflect what Hitchcock intended. So I wouldn't watch it that way, frankly. I'd watch it in 2D if you want to see his vision. Uh, He also said in last week's podcast you reviewed the Hitchcock Blu-ray collection, but you didn't mention the controversy about this set. The original copies, there were errors in the credits of Frenzy and several transfer issues. Uh, The release was delayed as a result, but many of these issues weren't fixed, resulting in subpar transfers for some of the titles. And according to Robert Harris, the film archivist, the man who knew too much, is in danger due to the condition of the negative. Um, you know, uh, Robert Harris, of course, is, is, a, is a friend of mine, and I'm going to get some information from him. I actually liked all the transfers in it. Now, again, I have nothing to compare them to other than the releases in the 1980s of the films from the same prints and the same masters and the, uh, the DVDs that Universal released. But the Blu-rays all, uh, to my eye, look uh, better than their DVD counterparts and look certainly as good as I've ever seen these films look well, in think, theatrical release. Right, but I think they're talking about, you know, the font that was used, like when it says Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy, the title font, uh, agate stuff like, you know, the word fictitious is spelled wrong, the, some of the crew members' names are spelled wrong in the credits. It's kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, well, uh, you know, that's that stuff. I, I, I don't focus on that kind of minutiae. You don't focus on that minutiae, but it's worth paying attention to. So uh, I want to thank Paris for pointing that out. And then uh, he asks a final question. Um, in another note, since you mentioned Woody Allen, when will the rest of his movies in the MGM library be released on Blu-ray? Manhattan and Annie uh, Hall indicated a start of a new release of BD releases, but nothing has happened doesn't seem to be a master issue as they use older masters for the first Blu-rays and they're already HD masters for the rest of the films. And, uh, yeah, I have no idea. That's, you know, uh, MGM and that library, I don't know what's going on over there. They distribute through 20th Century Fox right now. 
Um, 20th Century Fox is a little bit in upheaval. MGM is just kind of getting its bearings again, but you know they, they just had a change at the top uh, as well in their executive structure. So I, you know, Birnbaum stepping aside, which is kind of weird. So I, you know, I don't know. There's no way to really know who's going to make a decision there. I wouldn't expect it anytime soon, though. You know, since Warner Brothers owns, since Warner Brothers has the largest film library in the world, I'm surprised they didn't just buy them all. I mean, Warner yeah, Brothers, they're on like yeah. a, they're on like a, a Disney esque uh, buying spree. So what else? Any other uh, yes, good? Yes, uh, we do. We've got one from Alex in Florida here, uh, Wade and Mark. Maybe you could talk about this in the podcast. Studios are doing it more and more now on Blu-ray rental discs, and it is really pissing off audio junkies. Uh, isn't the whole point of Blu-ray to have top-notch HD video and audio? I first noticed it when the movie Red uh, was released in January 2011, and it had no HD audio on Blu-ray rental disc. It's becoming more common lately with two examples from Lionsgate, Hunger Games, and Cabin in the Woods. Both discs only have 5.1 DD 640 kilobyte per second audio track, uh, just above DVD quality at 448. Uh, I understand the studio is trying to make money by having you buy the Blu-ray. I think they're taking away lossless audio is going to make consumers buy the Blu-ray. In uh, They think taking away the lossless audio is going to make consumers buy the Blu-ray instead of rent it. I think this is wrong. I buy several Lionsgate movies throughout the year, and, the cons- uh, and as the consumer, I should not be forced to buy a movie when I think it is a one-time rental movie that I'll probably never watch again. DVDs still made to have lower quality video and audio. Blu-ray should not be cheated by the studio, so they think it's going to make the consumer buy the disc because you decided to cheat us on the HD lossless audio with 5.1 lossy audio. Um, you know what? I'm, I wasn't aware of that, but uh, that's a really interesting point. And if that's what they're doing, I think that's kind of cheesy. I mean, that's really cutting corners and assuming that um, fans aren't going to notice the difference. If you're, if you're renting a Blu-ray, you want to get Blu-ray quality, audio and video. Well, also, obviously... I I, I'm, I'm shocked that they do that. Well, you know, you can't lie on the packaging. That's one thing. But it's another thing to say it's lossless. It's not lossless. It's another thing to, to wonder how the studios... What the studios really think of Blu-ray. Are they just trying to crank these things out one last time before everything goes to streaming? Or are they really trying to do the best they can to cultivate a new generation of film lovers to maybe give Blu-ray a shot. Yeah, maybe. I don't really know what the uh, what the studios are thinking now. I, I know everybody's in a panic that that DVD rentals are yeah. down. Blu-ray is upticking a little bit, but I, I just think that the studios need to kind of really take this thing seriously if they're going to save the format. I, yeah, I agree. All right, back to new movies and uh, or new releases of recent movies or what have you. Um, we have got in something that will dovetail with all the Bond films right now. This is the Javier Bardem three film collection. Uh, Mondays in the Sun, No Country for Old Men, and Beautiful. This is, of course, a very smart way that Lionsgate is attempting to uh, wrap three films from their library into a three-film collection so that when people go and see him in his spectacular performance in Skyfall, and I cannot recommend Skyfall highly enough, it is a great Bond film, uh, they'll look at him and they'll go, oh my gosh, that crazy guy, that incredibly scary Bond villain who's just one of the all-time greatest Bond villains ever, that's Javier Bardem. The Oscar winner from No Country for Old Men. Look, there's a Lionsgate three-film uh, collection. I've got to go rent that or buy it so that I can watch his great performances, including uh, his performance in Beautiful, which was also Oscar-nominated and brilliant. The uh, the one here that most people have probably never seen is the Spanish film Mondays in the Sun, which is wonderful, and you really need to see it. If you've, you know, Most everybody's seen the other two or at least heard of them, but Mondays in the Sun, absolutely worth getting. Uh, so there are no ringers in this collection. This is a good trio. 
a Wade Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is a film that um, I oh, wanted. This is a Steven Spielberg film. Yes. Right with uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Yes. Which, by the way, I've seen, and uh, I have I like very much. Although it's uh, certainly not an, uh, certainly not a perfect work, uh, I do think it's uh, it's got a lot of really really great stuff in it. Um, but Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, you would think, just we would be like totally insulted by. How dare they take the yeah, it's, it's, the demand who ended slavery and make him into a kitschy thing? You know what? I think it's funny. It's a funny idea. It's a it's, it, it is. It, Come on, vampires funny. Fine, Vampire hunters. Ed Lincoln. It's Timur Bekmambetov, who I just think I is one of the worst directors ever. Yeah, you know what? I think it really begins and ends with him. Uh, the, you know, the, the movie it's it's not campy. It's not funny. It's it doesn't wink to the camera. It's not kitschy. It's really not that. Um, it's just really glossy and filled with CGI, and it wants to be all. You know, kick ass because it is you know Bet Mem blah, blah, whatever who did you know Night Watch and Day Watch, mm-hmm. and uh, you know so in that sense I feel like um, he almost took this thing too seriously. I mean, come on, it's Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. He takes everything too seriously. But um, Want, Wanted is just it's the worst thing ever. It's horrible. The uh, the audio in this thing is very very good. The video is pretty good. Uh, there's not a whole lot of DNR on it, but um, it is pretty crisp and the contrast is very good. Um, it's a little bit soft, the picture, but that's kind of okay because, you know, no shot lasts more than 10 frames anyway. Um, so that's Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. There is an audio commentary with the writer, the same guy who wrote uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, there's a making of, which is like an hour and 15 minutes if you care that much about the movie, and uh, a trailer and a couple other things too. So yeah. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Rock on. I uh, got a couple of little indies here. One I like, one I can't stand. And uh, the one I like is Ruby Sparks, which I think is a wonderful, wonderful movie. Ruby Sparks uh, has not really caught fire uh, yet this year, and it's sort of out of out of, out of circulation now. Um, I'm hoping that it'll get a little resurrection thanks to the Blu-ray release, which I have in my hand here. This is directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, who are married. I, I often see them at the market, believe it or not, or at least see him at the market. Wait, 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 wait. What? Wait, what, what, what's that sound I just heard? Oh, that's a name, name dropping. That's a name it's dropping. a name dropping, yes. Yeah, good job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, not that I like go, hey, Jonathan, how's it going? I don't know, I don't know him. I uh, just know him from his hat. But uh, they, are, they did Little Miss Sunshine. They are wonderful filmmakers. Everyone's been wondering where they've been with their follow-up film. Here it is. Uh, written by Zoe Kazan, starring Zoe Kazan, and uh, it is wonderful. It, uh, it actually stars Zoe Kazan with Paul Dano. They're a real-life couple. Zoe Kazan, of course, is the like Hollywood royalty. She's the granddaughter of Ilya Kazan and the daughter of Nicholas Kazan and Robin Swicord, both you know great screenwriters, grandfather, one of the great all-time filmmakers. So it's just, and she's written plays and acted in them, and she's delightful, and she's just got all of the the good genes in her family. It's incredible. It is a it is kind of a fantasy, a little bit like uh, it, well. The, like a number of films, but it's uh, it's about a guy who basically uh, invents a woman in his words, a writer who create through his words somehow magically invents his uh, a creation. Now, I mean, that's a scenario we've seen in a lot of things. Woody Allen has played with this, and it certainly goes all the way back to the original Pygmalion, not the My Fair Lady Pygmalion, the George Bernard Shaw play, but the the myth story that it's based on. And um, it, it, we've seen it kind of done a lot of different ways, but boy, I'll tell you, this is really good. It's a great script. It's so touching. It's so funny. It's so insightful. And what great performances! Paul Dano is, you know, it, it has never been better. Antonio Banderas and uh, Annette Bening are hilarious. Um, Elliot Gould is terrific. It's a really wonderful film. The other one I can't really recommend. It's Your Sister's Sister. This is on uh, Blu-ray. I love Emily Blunt. 
I really do. I don't know what she's doing in this movie. Um, this is a mumblecore film from Lynn Shelton, uh, who wrote and directed this. She's kind I like of, her. You know what? She's, Hump day. I know. Good. She's, Hump she's, day good. She's in that whole Duplass camp. And, uh, well, you know who else is in the Duplass uh, camp? The guy who starred in uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, which you like so much and I like too. Yeah, well, anyway. Uh, Mark Duplass is the, the guy in this, and uh, he's kind of ta- caught between two sisters, played by Emily Blunt and Rosemary DeWitt, who I also like. But it's just basically three whiny people with all kinds of baggage between them at a family uh, retreat at a little house out in the middle of nowhere. It's just like, let's take three actors and just let them go through some acting, cl- acting class experimentation. At a, at a remote house it's just the whole thing is so tedious to me if you like Lynn Shelton like Mark does if you liked Hump Day and if you like that whole mumblecore thing and if you like the actors I guess go for it but uh, I don't see any reason why this deserves to be on Blu-ray much less DVD much less uh, film Wade you know we talk often about how uh, some of your biggest stars do films that don't work out so well so True. they go straight to Blu-ray did you ever think hmm. that that would include Bruce Willis uh, no but that's Bruce, sad. Bruce Willis, Fire with Fire, a piece of junk from uh, earlier this year. I don't know that this, this ever got a theatrical. I th- I'm almost positive it just went straight to uh, straight to Blu-ray. And this thing is—it's it's got a very convoluted story. There's a there's a there's a firefighter played by Josh Duhamel who sees a, a, a bad guy played by Vincent D'Onofrio kill a convenience store owner, and then he, there's a, uh, then there's a he, he, bad guy gets away, and then he's arrested, oh and there's a, Bruce Willis plays a cop, and he wants to put the bad guy away for good because the cop is an Aryan who yeah, killed yeah, yeah. Uh, Bruce Willis' uh, partner. And I don't understand what's going on. Okay. This thing's just terrible. So um, there's a uh, commentary with the uh, director, David Barrett, who will probably never work again, and the cinematographer, the film has a bunch of action scenes that aren't particularly, I mean, they're fine. You know, nowadays people can do these action scenes. It's all done in post anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, interviews with the cast, not that great. Anyway, Fire with Fire, you've really got to be a total Bruce Willis completist. It also stars Rosario Dawson. But you can see how people thought this would go theatrical, and then it just didn't. Because yeah. it just wasn't good. All right. Well, Mark, we're going to wrap up with uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, which uh, we have here both in the uh, Blu-ray DVD Ultraviolet pack and the Blu-ray 3D Blu-ray DVD Ultraviolet pack, which has a lenticular on the cover of it. Uh, This was Mark Webb, the director of uh, 500 Days of Summer, segueing to big studio action fair, comic book fair, and uh, attempting to reboot the Spider-Man franchise with an all-new cast and an all-new concept and nobody involved with the original Spider-Man film apart from Alvin Sargent. The, uh, the great screenwriter who you would think wouldn't be their first choice to... I mean, he's one of three screenwriters, along with Steve Clovis, who did all the Harry Potter stuff. But you would think that uh, Alvin Sargent would not be someone's first choice anymore to write something that's targeted at kids. And i got to tell you, Alvin Sargent, trusty old, crusty old uh, adult screenwriter, he's the guy that brought all the humanity to the, the, uh, the uh, Raimi films. And he brings humanity to this. I actually really like this film. I thought this was a very sharp reboot. I gotta, I, I'm honest. Well, don't, don't, don't forget who Alvin uh, Sargent is married to. Yes. Chairman of Sony. Yes. <laughs> I know. The studio that made this film. I know. And by the way, there's nothing but wrong with But he doesn't this. get hired to do all their stuff. That's you know? true. It, 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 didn't, it didn't really help when William Friedkin was married to Sherry Lansing. She <laughs> greenlit one of his films in a tank and then marriage fell apart. So. Uh, I think this film is totally fine. I mean, I feel like I've seen it before. 
Yeah. Like, well, we have like it, like, so, eight, it, like eight years ago. It's almost like you know, like like on Broadway, like they'll they'll bring back Rent or yeah. they'll bring back like a classical you 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 know Eugene yeah. O'Neill play. True. It's like that. Totally. It's, it's it's almost like a new Broadway production of your favorite of your favorite Broadway play. Yes. You know, with a new cast. Well, uh, it's not bad. It's good. And uh, Andrew Garfield. You know, what? Andrew Garfield is good, and everyone likes Andrew Garfield. But oh, don't but, forget, yeah. there was nothing wrong with with uh, what's his name in the first one, Jake Gyllenhaal. Or the other, oh, no, what's his name? Not Jake Gyllenhaal. Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire. Nothing wrong with him. No. He was just as, like, real and human as we think Andrew Garfield is. But Garfield is more angst-ridden. Toby Maguire was more of a nerd who made good. And Garfield has all this baggage. You know, there's, like, a lot of internal... They gave him baggage. There's all this internal stuff going on, which I really like. It's a little more Batman-y. But I got to tell you, Garfield is so wonderful, and Emma Stone is just manna from heaven. I could watch her in anything. I could watch the two of them. I mean, it's their relationship that drives this movie. I don't give a crap about any of the Spider-Man stuff or the superhero stuff or the special effects or the or the stunts which are some great stunts here I mean a lot of the Spider-Man swinging stuff is not CGI it's a guy on a rope you know I mean they really tried to sort of make it more realistic but I could watch those two actors do anything I could watch a movie with with Andrew Garfield and, and Emma Stone just sitting on a bench talking for two hours they are wonderful together they do wonderful have wonderful chemistry they do have great uh, chemistry no doubt about it you know what I liked most watching this movie again in uh, on Blu-ray without the 3D it's a better film Friggin' better film. Every film is better without 3D. What, what as as a as a uh, as a function of storytelling? What film is better in 3D? Uh, 3D, The Man Who Wasn't There, starring Steve Gutenberg. Oh, I, I stand corrected. Yes, Forgive because me. because it, it, the 3D prevents you from paying attention to Gutenberg's performance. I love Steve Gutenberg. Yeah. Someday that guy's gonna have a comeback. Yeah, in a Tarantino film. He, yes, he, he, <laughs> he will. True. He will cycle back around yeah, and be will. cool again. He will. Anyway, so by the way, Spider-Man looks great, sounds great. Fantastic. It's a flawless, flawless, flawless transfer and an amazing, um, amazing audio. It's just great. It and, looks great. And a, and a decent pile of extras on here, too, we should say. I mean, a lot of exclusives on the Blu-ray you're not going to get on the DVD, uh, including a bunch of you know stuff that I really don't even understand at all. There's this amazing Spider-Man second screen app, which you download to a tablet or an iPad or something, and you sync with the film. I don't understand how that works. No, I didn't no, understand actually, the instructions. I, 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 I have do no stu- clue. I do stuff like this. What is in that? my job? I, I tried to figure it out. Well, I'm well, like, well, I don't what even you know do what is this you, is. you you download the app into your iPad, let's yeah. say, mm-hmm. and then the iPad synchronizes to your PlayStation Three or whatever your mm-hmm. Blu-ray player is. Yeah. And as the movie plays on your TV, you can look down on your iPad, and there are little sound bites, little behind-the-scenes shots synchronized to the film. So literally, they know that on the iPad app, one hour, 16 minutes, and 15 seconds into the movie, play that soundbite. One hour, 23 minutes, and 19 okay. seconds into the movie, go play that behind-the-scenes thing. We're going we're gonna to sit down in a second. You're going to show me how that works after the show. Okay. That's okay. Uh, and uh, deleted scenes, audio commentary with Mark Webb, Avi Arad of uh, Marvel, and uh, Matt Tolmack. That's going to be – that's that's just going to go down as one of the great uh, commentaries on any Spider-Man disc. It really is really, really good. And uh, if you get the Blu-ray 3D, you get an interactive 3D film school feature with uh, Mark Webb, but I don't see any reason to spend the extra money for it. It's not really worth it. You're perfectly fine getting the non-3D version. You'll get everything that you want. Get it on Blu-ray, regular Blu-ray, not 3D. Yes. So great transfer, great audio, very good film. Why not? Thoroughly enjoyable. Totally happy. 
Uh, with that, we are done. We will be back next week. Uh, send us your Vox boxes and your listener mail at gods at digigods.com. Also, uh, for those who, uh, who were out of the loop because of the glitch on the iTunes uh, download, you should now probably be fully aware of the fact that that feed is working again. Um, the shows were always up at gods at digigods.com. So if you uh, ever miss out on a show through a glitchy iTunes feed, please visit gods, uh, digigods.com www.digigods.com has all the shows always even if iTunes is not working otherwise uh, email us at gods at digigods.com as well we'll see you next week 